Hello, welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? S'mores cookies. Okay. That's the cookie of the month. For for what? At Sweet 31 Baking Company. Oh, you're still thinking about that. Yes, I am. And and how well, you haven't like been there every week since we talked about them on this podcast. I told you it's a little ways down. It's the in the same road. county. It's in the same county. You have no excuse. I'll I'll get there. I'll get it's there. It's just south of Lizard Lick. Thank you. Thank We've you. Been to s'mores this. cookies. Lizard Lick, hang a right. Speaking of s'mores, I sent we we have we're both in the same text thread with yeah. uh with, with some friends and I sent an Instagram account that I discovered this week for I don't know if I'm saying it right. Tupui Donuts in Raleigh. Oh, oh my! And word. they that I've I've never seen anything like it. I think I think I added just calories to my day just looking at those pictures. But yeah. there was a s'mores in there as well. So we need we need a Raleigh food tour day. Absolutely. Right, so here's, here's yes. my here's my Raleigh food tour day. Okay. Okay. The, the Raleigh area, the Triangle food tour day. How about this? So breakfast okay. at Tupui Donuts. Okay. Well, it's a, they they don't have a shop. They serve well, at a coffee shop. So we'll go, go to the go coffee there shop. Yes. And get get yeah. the donuts. So breakfast yeah. is coffee and tapui donuts. Then for yes. lunch we roll into Durham and we hit Sushioki for lunch. Yes, owned by EC member, yeah, and Pastor Lawrence Yu. Yes, Pastor in Chapel so, Hill, yeah. church planter EC member Lawrence Yu. Yeah. Amazing. So burrito, we'll sushi burritos basically. We go up there and we have Sushioki for lunch. That afternoon, we yep. drive over to Lizard Lake, hang a right. We go down to Sweet 31 Baking Company and get us some cookies. Right. Or whatever. Cinnamon rolls for the next morning, maybe. And then for that night, I mean, you know we're going for dinner. Well, I'm sure you're thinking Angus Barn. Angus Barn. Right. So are you going to advertise there a better day? This? Is there a better day? You going to advertise this? Like, no, but I'm just saying. like SBC This Week food tour. If you're in Raleigh, there's your day. There's Raleigh what you food should tour do. day. I mean, there's... There's a lot of things you could do in Raleigh, but that is a good itinerary for a day in Raleigh with food. Very, very, very nice. Of course, at the end, because you can't go to Angus Barn without having the chocolate chest pie. So at the end, after these donuts in the morning and the cookies and then the chocolate chest pie, you're basically, I mean, you know, bring your insulin. You'll be coma. fine. Right. That's right. So, well, very nice. Very nice. Don't forget. Uh, don't forget the bakery here. So. Yes. Hey, you know what s'mores cookies means? What? That means fall is here. It is indeed. It's September. Yes. And college football really kicks off this weekend. So the the Fens and the Whitfields are at arms this weekend or at odds. Absolutely. Well, the the Whitfield house and other, I mean, Aiken, Unziker. Oh, that's right. That's right. Merritt. Yeah. Uh, Finn, a lot of, lot of people, a lot of people, Georgia and Clemson. But Keith and Mary are headed to the game this oh, wow. weekend. They will be there. Yes, Drew and I will be checking out the new Marvel movie. So, oh, we'll, we'll yes. be we'll I'm be back in we'll be back in Wake Forest doing that. that. But all right, uh, but Drew and Mary are headed to the game, and they're pretty excited. Yep, and it's in the fifties today here in Nashville, so that's pretty awesome. Same. So, yeah, so same fall for North is here, and fall being here means fall preview days at Southwestern. All right. If you're considering the next steps in theological education, then head to Fort Worth, Texas for Southwestern Seminary's Fall Preview Day on October 22nd. 
You'll have a chance to tour the campus, meet your professors, talk with fellow students, meet President Adam W. Greenway, and experience the unique campus community of Southwestern Seminary. Visit swbts.edu slash preview to learn more and to register for Fall Preview Day at Southwestern Seminary. You can check that out next month, about six weeks away. And uh, it'll really be fall. it actually feel like fall in Fort Worth then, maybe. You know, because it's hot there. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. All right. Well, hey, Amy, let's jump into the news this week. Last week, I think I mentioned it on the podcast that I was headed to Louisiana for a funeral of a EC member, Glenn Reinhardt, uh, down in Lafayette. And Amy, I was able to evacuate from New Orleans less than 24 hours before Hurricane Ida hit and really, really did a lot of damage in South Louisiana. What was the experience like kind of getting out at the same time as all the the people? Did you, were there a lot of folks in the airport? What all was going on? The airport was slammed. It, it was, it was kind of crazy, but everything was shut down. So just think of like right. an airport that is just doing immense business. Every, pl- every flight is full and there are no restaurants. There are no shops. There are no snack stands, anything. So everybody's just kind of sitting around waiting. And it was an eerie calm, too. But uh, everybody was able to get out, I think, of the airport. I was on one of the last flights out, came back to Nashville. So um, did not realize a hurricane was coming on Thursday when I booked that trip for Friday and Saturday. May have done something different if I had. Um, but it worked out. Still, Ida, I, just a, a lot of damage. Came in there right right near Grand Isle, uh, which is a right. little fishing village down there, right there on the Gulf Coast. And uh, just did a ton of damage down there. Uh, more than 80 Southern Baptist churches were damaged by Ida. Incredible. And of course, this ha- this happened at the same time as people were remembering mm-hmm. Katrina. because 16 Katrina, years to the day. Yeah. Right. Made, made landfall. And we always are reflecting on that every year because Drew was born the day the levees broke. Mm. And so we have a lot of memories of being in the hospital and um, everything on, on TV. And my dad I remember was on the phone in the hospital, pacing the halls all the time, because uh, as you know, he, he worked in high school athletics Mm -hmm. and they had a influx of students, student athletes transferring because it was clear that they were not going to be able to get back to Louisiana for months and months. Like these families had left their homes and were having to just basically relocate completely and they were all trying to get into the schools and onto the sports teams. And I can remember realizing this is so much bigger than, a, than normal, you know, what, what happened. And so folks were really reflecting on Katrina as they were evacuating, you know, and, and we have a lot of friends there at new Orleans seminary and we're hearing from them and man, what a tough thing. I mean, a lot of them are still, they're still not back. Yeah. They, they're, they can't go back right now. Yeah, and New Orleans avoided a lot of flooding damage. They they had some damage to the campus. Most of that just wind damage, trees, things like that, uh, which I guess you would expect with a, a hurricane hitting at 140, right. 150 miles an hour. And, and that's really been the, in, in South Louisiana, that's really been the case. There was a, not a ton of flooding damage except for, you know, with the storm surge down on Grand Isle, that area, uh, in really South Louisiana, Golden Meadow, Grand Isle, Port Fouchon. But uh, as you got up into... Tanchemahoe Parish, East Baton Rouge, Livingston, St. Helena, you had a lot of wind damage and a lot of churches up there, including the churches in my hometown of Ponchatoula, um, 
they have really, really taken a, a beating. And there's been a ton of wind damage in that area, some loss of life in Louisiana as well. But the weird thing is Ida kept on going, went up through Tennessee. We was here on Tuesday um, and went on through to the northeast and caused a lot of flooding damage and more than 20 deaths in New Jersey and New York. Yeah, this has been a crazy, crazy storm. I, I just want to say as a side note that I'm so glad that you are here to cover all stories that involve Louisiana because you just say these parish names, they just roll off and I wouldn't have a clue. So you do a fantastic job with that. Well, I, I try, I, you know, I let you have the, the, the tough names and I'll take the, the places we'll work on that. So there you go. But yeah, so we have a whole suite of Ida coverage over at Baptist press, SBDR, send relief. Both have been extremely active this week. Not only with just Ida, there's a big wildfire thing going on in California. So a lot of the West Coast SBC, SBDR teams are out there working that. And uh, there's, I mean, just a massive wildfire right outside of Lake Tahoe. And uh, there's just, you know, California's got that. I mean, we've been hearing a lot about Ida because of our location in the country, but we don't want to forget our uh, California Southern Baptist friends and neighbors and um, the the workers out there. So a lot of SBDR work as normal, I guess, this time of year. This is the busy season. Uh, for Southern Baptist Disaster Relief and Send Relief. So be in prayer for them. Uh, you can give and be a part of the cleanup efforts over at sendrelief.org. So, Amy, we have our first appointments from SBC President Ed Litton. That's right. So the announcement came out this week that he was announcing his chair and vice chair for the Committee on Committees. These are direct appointments. They're not nominations. So this is one that you know, just kicks into gear. And the chair will be Jeremy Freeman. So he is lead pastor of First Baptist Church in Newcastle, Oklahoma. Friend of the pod. Yes, good friend of the pod and has served in Southern Baptist life uh, for many years, is known a lot for some of the things he has done with his son, Caleb. Uh, Caleb, who experienced sort of a a horrific situation a few years ago with an, an accident that he was in and is now this incredible student evangelist, just amazing yeah. the way uh, they have, have really used his story to reach students, to reach teens. So that's a, a great thing in light of a vision 2025 and that focus, but Jeremy Freeman, so he's no stranger to many Southern Baptists and he will be serving as the chair. And then Amanda Stanton, is going to be vice chair. She is director of discipleship at Calvary Christian High School in Clearwater, Florida, and a member of Calvary Church. Yeah. So, so we, we don't know Amanda, but we know her parents. Yes. Willie and Cheryl Rice. So a lot of folks know her family. They're good friends of the pod. After six and a half, almost seven years of doing this, almost everybody in the SBC is a friend of the pod. We, we've kind of gotten to know a few people. You know what? And we should think we, of it that way. That, all Southern, all Southern like, Baptists, all Southern everybody's Baptists, a friend are of the pod at this point. Because everybody's we, a friend of the pod. Know yes. so many people because of the podcast. So that's right. Yeah, which is so kind of cool, lot, by the way. Makes it a lot of fun. I love getting to. But meet yes, people. a lot of people do know the Rices and right. Amanda Stanton over there in uh, Clearwater. So uh, congratulations to her and Jeremy on leading our committee on committees. Be in prayer for them in that process. Yeah. For those who are listening and think this seems early, well, to a lot of our sensibilities, it is because normally we don't see that until the spring. 
the bylaw says at least 45 days out. So a lot of times presidents have kind of pushed it a little bit closer to that deadline, but that's an at least you can do it anytime. And so in recent years, we've not really seen it come in the fall, but it is not unprecedented. Jimmy Draper in, I think, 82 did that. He released his, I think he released his entire committee on committees in September. So, uh, so it's, it has been, it has been done. So it's not, you know, not completely unprecedented. And so kind of gives exciting news for the week. Yeah. Hey, if you know who you're going to nominate, why wait, right? Just do it. Yeah. And that actually helps, you know, gives time for Jeremy Freeman to get his head around the, the role and, and to meet the other committee members and, and to work. So maybe this will start something, yeah. start something new. Hey, I'm all about us using all the time that we have to do things and not waiting until the last minute. So love it. Yes. I, th- I think if, if anybody's ever been involved in a group project, it's always good to get started early. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Be waiting until the last minute. So that's that'll be right. Helpful. All right. Well, very cool. Uh, so there's our news this week. Uh, one more big item of news this week. And we've got a special guest on the podcast this week. And Amy, I'm going to let you explain what's going on in our interview this week. As I'm sure everyone knows, unless you've been, you know, hiding under a rock, a huge thing with the Supreme Court this week, all the the news outlets are talking about this with a law in Texas that is kind of in the court system right now. But in the lawsuit, the it, the the folks had appealed to the Supreme Court to have this Texas law that was essentially outlawing abortion. It's kind of got some real intricacies to it, but it was essentially shutting that down uh, after six weeks. This has come and the Supreme Court decided not to have any kind of injunction to stop it. So it was allowed to go into effect, even as it's still being, you know, going through the process. So at this stage, Abortion is uh, abortion after six weeks. Abortion after you know a detectable heartbeat is not allowed in the state of Texas. There's a lot of talk about that, and what we wanted to do. Obviously, this is a, a topic that has been important to Southern Baptists for years, and even came in the conversation surrounding the resolution on abolishing abortion this summer at the annual meeting. Um, and just of note, because we didn't we didn't talk about this in the interview we're about to to release that there was an amendment that becomes really important because initially that resolution said we will not adopt an incremental approach and or something like that i can't remember the exact phrase or something like that yeah, yeah support and the amendment was that the word alone was put in there that will not support an incremental approach alone um and and that's i think that's an important point because if the resolution had passed without it of course they're non-binding but a law of this type is actually part of an incremental approach so it, it was interesting that that discussion happened right before something like this but one thing that we wanted to do is to get is to get the conversation about not just the the law or even this you know kind of get it out of the 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 culture war conversation alone. We don't just see this and say, hey, we think this is a victory and sort of move on or spike the ball or anything. There are people at the center of this discussion. So what we wanted to find out is how can the church uh, look at this and how can the church consider how we uh, how we discuss it in our um, congregations, knowing all the people that are, are there and how we care for women and children 
in the aftermath of something like this happening. Joining us today on SBC This Week is Elizabeth Graham, who is the Vice President for Life Initiatives and Operations over at the ERLC. Elizabeth, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Jonathan and Amy, for having me today. I really appreciate it. So we're having you on to really discuss kind of a a monumental Supreme Court. I I wouldn't call it a ruling, I guess like a a declination of a ruling, I guess, so to speak, on uh, a, a Texas abortion bill, Senate Bill 8, and that has really, you know, kind of changed the landscape of the pro-life legislation in the U.S. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Why is this such a big deal? Why is it a monumental case? And and kind of give us the details of that. Yeah, so SBA is very different than any other state and the heartbeat laws that currently exist. So SBA allows a individual private citizen to sue if they become aware of a woman who has sought an abortion past a detectable heartbeat, which many would say a detectable heartbeat is anywhere from six to eight weeks. And so what the bill would allow is private civil action, but yet also doesn't lean on government enforcement. The bill itself is a huge win. It's very, it's very different than other heartbeat bills that have been passed in um, specific states. It is a huge win for the pro-life space, but also creates some unique challenges as well for the intervention space. And so this is an interesting development, the way that Texas approached this, uh, and those that wrote this legislation were very, very strategic in the way that they wrote it to be able for the bill to be passed and come into law. And it's very interesting that the Supreme Court did not take action um, on it. And the primary reason um, it seems, which uh, legal and legislative is not my space, so I'll leave those for the leave that to be analyzed by the experts. But the challenge the pro-abortion movement asked the Supreme Court to take up the issue and to address it. And they said no, because they have a monumental case coming up for oral arguments in October called Dobbs versus Whole Women's Health. Yeah. So essentially what happened here, they didn't even rule on the merits of the case. They just, they had gotten sort of the request to stop the law from going into effect Yes. While while this is going through the courts and the Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to step in and stop that. So the case Correct. about SBA is still on on its own merits is still ongoing. It's still something that's going to continue to be discussed. But at this stage, no one there was no injunction. There was nothing to stop it from going into effect during that court, uh, during that court process. So there will still be continued conversation about SB8. Mm -hmm. um, But as of now, it is, it is law until it is essentially said to be on, you know, until someone says that it's unconstitutional. And, you know, we at least see in their decline, a signal from this five justice majority, they're hearing the possibility that this is that they would not say it's unconstitutional. So a few signals there, but not, we don't know for sure. They haven't heard, you know, arguments. And then, like you said, there's the one coming up, which will have a different, you know, some different things. We'll see what they do there. So ultimately Mm -hmm. this makes surgical abortion in the state of Texas illegal, 
once a heartbeat is detectable, right? I mean, that, that's kind of the end game here. For the most part, it does allow an exception for a medical emergency, but, um, but not even for some rape of the, or incest that that's exactly right. Yeah. So many of the other heartbeat bills allow for exceptions for incest or rape. This bill doesn't even allow for that, which is very different. And so it's for medical emergency only. So yes, the answer is it does basically make a DNC um, not an option. So really you, what you see in this case is that you will see a significant rise in what we call like abortion on demand pill. Yeah. Are you, uh, you would see the pill? Yes, that's right. Are you 486? So you'll see a lot of the probably increase in RU 486. I mean, listen, the reality is we were already seeing a significant increase in abortion pill, chemical abortions. And the reason why is with the acceleration of COVID, what that did is it, it accelerated telehealth um, beyond what anyone could have imagined in such a short window of time. And when the increase of telehealth came online, Planned Parenthood was ready um, to take care of women, they would say, um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, let's just take my own doctor, for example. I can't even get an appointment with my own doctor 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I can't get mine to answer the phone. So if, right. I mean, if you've beat me on that, I mean, congratulations. Right. But Planned Parenthood has found a way through their app uh, to be able to, um, you can make an appointment 24 hours a day, seven days a week to receive services from them. You can also request prescription refills. You can request a telehealth appointment. I mean, so with the acceleration of telehealth and COVID-19, what that did is it accelerated Planned Parenthood's ability to be able to give women access on demand. And it's shrinking the window of intervention in the intervention space. So for our pregnancy resource and pregnancy health centers, it's shrinking that window of opportunity to intervene when they have such access to abortion on demand. So there's some real challenges that are facing um, the pro-life movement in terms of what we've been seeing over the last 18 months. Here's something that, and we talked about this a little bit before uh, when we were prepping for uh, for this conversation. You know, everyone's talking about this this legal strategy and this idea that it took things away from being a criminal situation to a civil one to say that essentially anyone, you know, the person down the street or something, they don't even have to have a connection with the with the individual. And a lot of folks have been have been talking about that. Now, when we think about what is next here uh, for the church, you know, in, in a, a situation in Texas today where this is actually in effect, I can imagine that the the watching world expects an immediate, like, all of a sudden everyone's going to start becoming watchdogs and, and filing lawsuits and things like that. But there are other things that the church can do stepping into this space now in a reality where SB8 is in effect. And so talk to us a little bit about some of the things that are happening. I mean, first of all, if this changes and all of a sudden now we see the uh, abortions are not happening, then women's, you know, prenatal care, the needs for that go up, the needs for um, 
for preparing, you know, for, for the births of children, things like that. What are some things that the church now needs to be thinking about and already has been thinking about um, in terms of being there for women who were facing this choice and now are not? Amy, that's such a great question. I think some of the things that we need to be talking about are, listen, we can make abortion illegal. That That is a possibility. But what what is necessary is that we make abortion unnecessary and unthinkable. And so unnecessary, let's talk about this for a second. What does it mean to make abortion unnecessary? Well, the statistics show us that one in four women in the church are having an abortion. This is from a study that was pulled um, between LifeWay and CareNet, and that of that, 45% of women are having a repeat abortion. And this was from Guttmacher's research. So for those of you that are listening that don't know, Guttmacher is the research and data arm of Planned Parenthood. And so their statistics are very consistent with the other data and research that's been pulled. So one in four women in the church on average are having an abortion. 45% are having repeat abortions. And Human Coalition did a study uh, recently that stated the results of that study showed that 75% of w- women who received an abortion, so these were women who had an abortion, said that if their life circumstances were different, they would have chosen to uh, chosen life for their preborn child. 75%. Okay, so when you break that information down, you're like, what what are what is it about where they are in their life they feel like they don't have the ability to choose life and what we've been seeing is um, affordable childcare access to housing uh, more funding for food banks um, accessible healthcare so it's really like healthcare education housing jobs there's like uh, multiple areas. But these are the particular areas that mom said that if she, that she felt like her life were in a different place and these things were in place, she would have felt like she would have been in a position to choose life. So what we've done in Texas is we've restricted the law, which is wonderful. So we need to celebrate the fact that more babies are going to be born because of this law. We need a legislative change. But what it has not addressed is making abortion unnecessary. So women would still seek abortion, but now we've restricted it. Now the state has restricted abortion. So those moms who are coming into this situation would have already chosen abortion now are out of default required to choose life after a heartbeat is detected. Well, we've not changed her life circumstances. So what does it mean for that baby if that mom would have chosen abortion? I think what that probably points us to is that mom, because her circumstances in her life has not changed and she doesn't have the resources, she's more than likely going to put her child up for um, adoption or so she will likely could choose adoption or the child could go into the foster care system. And the church already has this incredible opportunity to really address the orphan crisis in the U.S. And what we've seen 
And this is, again, a broad statement, not to be criticizing any particular group of individuals, but that the church hasn't met the needs of the orphan crisis in the U.S. We can look at that when we take a look alone at the foster care numbers, kids that are in the foster care system already, which I can happily go through some of this information with you. So what can the church do? The church can come alongside, work with women, and also support organizations who are putting women uh, in a position to be able to provide a continuum of care that helps to change her circumstances and also ministers to her along the way. It's what we call wraparound care. We want to wrap around care for her. We want to help address these areas of need for her that so that we're positioning her to choose life. And lots of the individuals that are, again, getting pregnant, wish that they felt like they could choose life. So I know that's a lot. Well, I think it just goes to show that the, the answer isn't just getting rid of abortion. You know, that that's something I think that's we're right. all we're all on board with. And we, mm-hmm. we don't want you know, the, the innocent lives to be lost through abortion. But at the same time, there, there has to be a, okay, then what's next? That's part of that. Discussion That's right. Too. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you make a good point there, but it is also a good reminder. I think that one of the most important, there's two really good reminders of that. I think that's the big one is that reminder that it's not just, Hey, let's overturn Roe and then abortion is no longer legal. Well, we'll have to get some, that's, that's a bigger discussion because it's a state thing versus a federal thing then at that point. But there's also the the care that needs to be happening. But I think there's also the awareness that there are people in our churches who are Mm -hmm. struggling with these decisions sometimes as well. I I think we we tend to think about women getting abortions are people we don't know or people that, you know, it's, it's them out there in society or something and, and not the people within our churches. I, I think the good reminder is that, you know, one in four women in our churches have had an abortion at some point in their life. And, and it, it That's is, right. it's, it's not just, you know, in the last few months, I mean, I just in, at a time over their life. So that that's a reality. I don't think we really wrap our heads around a lot of times. Yeah. And I think it's, I think we also have to remember too, that there are women out there who um, have had abortions because they've been in an abusive situation and they mm-hmm. were made to do that. Like they did mm-hmm. not choose that. They, you know, and so there's a lot of pain um, that is involved as we talk about this issue. And we do have to remember that, that people are at uh, at the heart of this. Yeah. And so, Elizabeth, how would you encourage pastors to address that with that in mind? Well, I don't presume, you know, I obviously I'm not pastoring a church, so I don't presume to know all of the complexities of how pastors are dealing with these issues. But what I would say, I suggest is, you know, you, you quoted the statistic again, like the, it was like a veil dropping from my eyes when we did this competitive analysis on Planned Parenthood to better understand this massive organization that is working in so many areas of culture and also influencing the church indirectly by educating our kids through their sex education and gender curriculum. And so I think that's one way in which which they're influencing the church indirectly. But what I'll say is those that one in four women, that woman, you know, Amy, you touched on this about, you know, she may have been uh, sexually assaulted. There could have been other circumstances that led her to being forced to have an abortion. There's the trauma that's come 
Um, what better the church has the answers for her needs, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also have to remember that that, that woman is at a 45% risk of a repeat abortion. That's what the statistics show us. So she's had one abortion. She essentially almost has a 50% chance, 45% chance of having a repeat abortion. There are some really great organizations out there that provide incredible, what I would call like post-intervention care, meaning they address the trauma. So abortion is not just like a, a psychological trauma. It's like a physical trauma to your body. And so it affects both your heart and your mind and your physical person. And so I think that we have to care for her as a whole human being. We have to address these particular areas. Um, Support After Abortion is an organization that's doing a significant amount of work out of Florida um, in this area of, um, of supporting women Um, And basically disrupting the cycle of repeat abortions. So I would say our churches, like we need to have a posture of humility and of grace. And we need to meet women where they are, because if they are coming to the church, we see the majority of women do not come to the church to confess that they've uh, been sexually active outside of marriage, that they've had an abortion, all of these different things but we have to be welcoming her and meeting her in her most difficult hour. So uh, language that use compassion language, um, showing her grace, um, getting her the counseling and um, the trauma and the healing that she may need post this decision. And then I think pastors really as pastors, you know, one of the ways that they can serve their congregation and their people well is to lay a firm, solid foundation for what it means to be made in the image of God and the implication to that that has on our everyday life. So, you know, when there is a strong foundation of what it means to be made and created in the image of God, you don't look at someone's value for what they're able to contribute to society. You understand that their value is intrinsic and they have immeasurable dignity and worth and value because they've been created in God's image. And so therefore um, you're addressing um, this, this foundation of what it means to be made in the image of God. You're helping people understand that um, we need to advocate for the vulnerable, whether that's the preborn baby um, that's at risk for being aborted, whether that's the mom who is, Um, suffering through abuse, whether that's the person who's struggling with end of life and deciding whether or not they're going to do physician-assisted suicide. We we need to have a robust ethic of what it means to be made in the image of God. Well, Elizabeth, that's a great, that's a great note to end on. And so we just thank you so much for coming on, especially after such a big announcement this week. Can you tell us where people can go for more information uh, about this, if they want to learn more, educate themselves, or more about what they can do? Yeah, so I would strongly encourage you can go to ERLC.com, and there are resources there about the upcoming Supreme Court decision and oral arguments in Dobbs versus Whole Women's Health in October. You can also go there and find information on SBA. You can, Baptist Press has put out some great articles recently about this. 
as well. So you should check that out. If you want to be connected to organizations, there are so many incredible organizations doing work in this space, and we would love to point you. Our Southern Baptist Children's Homes are doing great work in this space. We've also got um, a Lifeline doing adoption and foster care work. We've got Embrace Grace, who's doing work, uh, work with pregnant. This is not a Southern Baptist organization, but they serve Southern Baptist churches by uh, mentoring moms in unplanned pregnancy. They also have a curriculum for dads called Legacy as well. We, I could point you to so many human coalition. And then I would say, be sure to find out where your closest pregnancy resource and pregnancy health clinic is. So many PRCs and PhDs are being supported by uh, Southern Baptist churches. So I would say, try to get over there and see what ways you can serve moms who are in crisis is a great way just to get connected and more involved into the movement on the care side. Absolutely. It starts in a local level and, and those, they, they are the, kind of on the front lines there. So that's Elizabeth, exactly right. Again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking the time and, and thank you for all you do for life over at the RLC. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. So thanks again to Elizabeth Graham for joining us today on SBC this week. And for those of you wanting more information about what the uh, bill is about and what the resources are that Elizabeth mentioned, we'll put those links in the show notes for you. So I have a section at SBC this week in the show notes for this episode, episode 339, if you want to check that out and uh, get those notes and links for all the information around Senate Bill 8 in Texas. All right, Amy, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right, we're going to go to 1959. I went back to a fun story this week, one that I just sort of saw They're all fun, randomly. Amy. They're all fun. They are. They are. But you know, I like these human interests. Okay. And the headline from the September 3rd, 1959 issue of Baptist Press is Unspeakable Wedding Performed by Pastor. What? Oh, Yeah. So this is about uh, a wedding that took place at East Gadsden Baptist Church. And it, ta- it started out by saying a preacher speechless at the wedding he is performing. So here's what happens. The pastor, W. Albert Smith, had throat surgery. And this couple in the wedding wanted him to perform the service anyway, because this is their pastor. It mattered to them. So they got married with a pastor who could not speak. This is legal, folks. Uh, they actually figured it out. So here's what they did. It says that he had an introduction to the service and he typed it out on a card and handed it to the best man and stood there while the best man read the introduction. Then he typed out their marriage vows on separate cards, handed it to them. And so instead of reading the vows for them, he basically hands it, asks them to read it and then say, I do. Then the ring service, he just turns to the, the attendants and just kind of holds out his hand, like motioned for it, did it just by pointing He said, this was done as smoothly as in any service I had ever performed. And then he typed out the conclusion, asked maybe another groomsman to read that, and then closed it with uh, signed by W. Albert Smith and his signature. And then he sat at his desk and had a picture made signing the marriage license. Hmm. And so we have, I don't know that I've ever heard of anything like this. It's like a do-it-yourself wedding. 
and it is it is legal well, that the pastor, you know, yeah. I mean, all you really have, have to do say is a word. sign the the marriage license. And I know, but it's more fun to say by the I power know. vested in me by the you know to hear all of that. State of Alabama, in this case, that's right. I think. That's right. It so. doesn't say who the people are, but this was in 1959. I mean, that's a really memorable wedding. They didn't right. get it on video, though. So, so if we have listeners whose grandparents or parents were married in 1959 by <laughs> a preacher who could not speak, we'd love to know about it. That'd be kind of That's cool. right. That's what right. What if we be- did know him? What if, what if? That was pretty wild. Maybe Matt Alexander wild. knows somebody because they know. live in it's Gadsden. Gadsden. Yeah, the, because the Alexander's down there. He knows yeah, everybody but, in Gadsden, I'm sure. But super fun. There's always fun wedding stories that are, are coming around and, and stuff. And so there was kind of a cool one this week in SBC history. September 3rd is when this story was told. That issue also shares kind of just a, a note at the end that the Christian Life Commission, which is kind of the precursor to the ERLC, was working with other agencies in asking Southern Baptists to pray for peace during Nikita Khrushchev's forthcoming visit to America. So it's kind of some insight into what's happening at that time. And a lot of times we will have sort of days of prayer or prayers focusing on specific events. And of course, they were doing that back then too. Um, very interesting to read that in light of of his world history. Yeah. So. Wedding stories are always great to have pastors tell, especially pastors yes. who've been ministering for 20, 30, 40 years or whatever. Get oh, them to yeah. Tell their best wedding stories. Ones. You can get some some good ones. Some fun stuff. My dad has a few um, that I just crack up at. So they typically involve the uh, the special music, usually because it's it's special in many different ways. Keith Whitfield has more funeral stories than wedding stories, but we'll save those for another day. Yeah, also uh, ripe for picking for good stories. So, all right. Well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is. Mine is a book. I may have actually done this as a resource before, but I wanted to throw it out there again, given the what's coming up next week. Um, it is called Only Plane in the Sky, and it's an oral history of 9-11. Um, it's, I mean, it's a lot. It's really, I have it on Kindle, but it's a ton of pages. Um, I've never really read anything like this, and it it really is just an oral history, and it's just interviewing person after person after person from people um, who were on airplanes at the time from people. It it takes all the sort of folks who had communication with people who were on those four airplanes, newscasters, um, first responders, all sorts of people telling their perspective. And it's, it's a really unbelievable thing that, that unfolds so I just want, we're coming up on 20 years and I didn't want to do it next week because I wanted, if people were interested in reading it, give a little bit of time to get it. So. All right. Very cool. And, and yeah, I've heard great things about that book. So um, Ari Fleischer always kind of given a, a good, uh, you know, day of thing on Twitter. So. Right. Yeah. It's very similar to that. Yeah. So. All right. That's your resource of the week. My resource of the week is the new album from Chris Renzema. Get out of the way of your own heart. Amy, there's a track on here called Just As Good. It's track four that features Ellie Holcomb that you are absolutely going to love. I'll have to check that out today. Absolutely going to love it. It's a great album. It just dropped last night. I've listened to it this morning before we recorded. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm a big Chris Rinsema fan. I'm, I'm Chris Rinsema's number one fan, I think. 
Um, and you know, I'm going to see him in October when he comes here to Nashville and he's got a tour coming around. So if he's going to be in your city, uh, check him out online and, um, I highly recommend his stuff. It's fantastic. The new album, a little different than the first two albums that he has, but still good. So, uh, do check that out. It's get out of the way of your own heart by Chris Renzema. So really good album. Got some stuff. Uh, it's got Ellie Holcomb on there. Leland is on the, one of the songs as well. And also Matt Marr. So uh, a few guest appearances on Very Get cool. Out of the Way of Your Own Heart. So uh, do check that out. It's it's fantastic. So that is my resource of the week. Amy, don't want to forget Baptism Sunday in the SBC next week as well. The 12th, uh, we had a story in Baptist Press this week about North Carolina. Your state, you've got like 600, almost 700 churches participating in Baptism Sunday. Going to be an incredible, incredible week in the yep. SBC. Fill the so, tank. Um, Fill the tank. Our church is is stocking up on baptisms too. I mean, we, we've got a holiday weekend this weekend, so we don't have any this weekend, but next weekend we'll have several. So uh, we're participating as well. So a lot of churches uh, doing baptism Sunday next Sunday uh, should be exciting. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not about the numbers, but it is about the life change that comes from that. So... Uh, really exciting to see that in the SBC. Really uh, a great job in North Carolina, really taking that to the next level. There's a couple of links we'll put in the show notes as well for that. Uh, if you're in North Carolina or just in general, there's a NAM website as well. So uh, a lot of good resources for you to participate in Baptism Sunday next week. All right. So, folks, uh, just to wrap up, thanks again to Elizabeth Graham for coming on. Thanks again to Southwestern Seminary for sponsoring us each and every week. And also, don't forget to, uh, if you missed the special episode we dropped with Trevin Wax this week, it had been you know, a lot of downloads on that one. People really, really enjoying that discussion with Trevin about the Mars Hill podcast, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. So uh, Trevin came on, gave us about an hour, hour and 15 minutes uh, of commentary on different things, and it's just a great conversation that we had with him. But Amy, have a great Labor Day weekend, and I'll see you next week. See you next week.